0: The following is a presentation of Genesis. Genesis is a place where you are invited to begin, belong, and believe. To find out more, visit us on the web at com. If you have a Bible, uh, go ahead and open up to Mark chapter 2. Um, we are continuing our um, series called Jesus. And uh, so far, um, Jesus is, Mark identifies who Jesus is, that he is, Uh, the Son of God, that He is uh, the Christ, the Messiah, the Savior. All of that happened in chapter 1, verse 1. And so one of the questions I've been asking and will continue to ask, if this is Jesus, is God's Son, if He's a Savior, Messiah, Redeemer, uh, what is He like? Who is He? How will He treat, respond, react uh, to people? And one of the things that we've been seeing so far, Jesus is healing people. He's kicking demons out of people's life. He Went into the desert for 40 days to have a, a fight uh, with Satan. Came out victoriously. Uh, and a lot of the things that he's doing is very shocking to uh, the people of his day, especially the religious people. And uh, in a few weeks, when we get to uh, chapter 3, uh, you're going to see just how upset the religious people are because right in chapter 3, the religious people start plotting to kill him. Okay, it takes a lot to upset someone Enough to say, you know what, we want to get rid of him. We want to kill him. And within chapter 3, the religious, the Pharisees, the Sadducees were already plotting to kill Jesus because they did not like him and what he was doing and the impact and influence that he was having. Um, So we come to Mark chapter 2 verse 13. And this is a great story tonight because it really reveals Jesus' heart of what mattered most to him and hopefully what will matter most to us as a community says this in verse 13. Once again, Jesus went out beside the lake. A large crowd came to him, and he began to teach them. Now, the last time Jesus went out beside the lake, the Sea of Galilee, four men received an imitation of a lifetime that they said yes to. These were uh, the four fishermen, the, four, the first disciples that responded, Peter and Andrew and James and John. And Jesus said, come follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. So the last time he took a walk on this beach, this is the very thing that happened. Another thing I love just about this one verse here is I love that Jesus goes to where the people gather. Like this is the hub of where people in that community in this culture are gathering. This is where trading and selling uh, is, is taking place and buying and purchasing and stuff. This is where the people are. And I love that Jesus goes to where they are and does not expect the people to come to where he is. Jesus is one who is certainly seeking, but engaging the people and, and where they are. Second thing that I love, you find this throughout the gospel narrative, is that Jesus is always teaching. I don't know if you've ever had a teacher in your life who has, a, has had a profound impact on your life. I would imagine that there's at least one person, whether it was in middle school or high school or college or graduate school, a professor as a teacher who just impacted you, certainly with his life, certainly with the wisdom, and the knowledge that he passed along to you. What I love about Jesus is he's always teaching. He's passing along encouragement, words of wisdom, instruction. I have no idea what he was even teaching people now. I have a good idea that he was talking to people about God and who God is and how people can have a relationship with him. I just imagine as Jesus is teaching, his words are so helpful, not hurtful. Because what people were used to is they would go to the synagogue and they would just t- feel terrible about themselves because the Pharisees and the teachers of the day would just be telling them uh, how awful they are and how they're not meeting the standard. It's kind of like in some churches today, people who are preaching, pastors, are, it's just not very helpful. And you leave and you just, you know, that was not helpful at all. And I love what Jesus, when he's teaching, uh, his words are encouraging and challenging people to live differently, to repent from living this way and to turn their life towards God. He goes on in Mark uh, chapter 2, verse 14. As he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting on the tax collector's booth. Tax collector's booth, this is like a lifeguard stand. These guys would sit up way high and they would look at who is coming in to uh, the town And they would be keeping notes of who has paid their taxes and who has not. So they're literally sitting probably 10, 15 feet above everyone. They would pick and say, you have not paid your taxes, and they'd have to come pay their taxes. So tax collector's booth, follow me, Jesus told him. And Levi got up and followed him. Levi, just so you know, is another name for Matthew. And Matthew is one of the 12 disciples. Okay, if you just look at verse 14, it says, as he walked along, he saw Levi. Levi. Okay, if you just pause there, he saw Levi. One of my first questions, what on earth did he see in Levi? Because when most people would walk by the tax collector's booth, they would not even acknowledge that he was there. Tax collectors were absolutely hated. They were criminals of their day. People wanted nothing to do with them. So literally when they would walk by, they would be ignored. No one would even pay attention unless they were getting yelled at to pay their taxes. But for some reason, when Jesus walks by this tax collector, 12, 15 feet in the air, he sees Levi. What is it that Jesus saw in Levi that apparently no one else in that culture, in that time, in that day, saw in Levi? I think that when Jesus sees Levi, he sees someone who is going to be an incredible follower, someone who is going to be an incredible servant, someone who is going to be an incredible leader. Jesus just looks beyond the appearance of someone. He's not looking for someone who is very impressive, but when he sees people, he sees Imago Day. And if you remember back to a few weeks back, Imago Day just means image of God. So Jesus, when he sees Levi. He's not looking for someone who is just going to blow him away with his being so impressive. But Jesus has a different set of eyes. He looks at Levi and sees Imago Dei. There is a man who is created, fashioned, formed in the image of God. What's amazing is this guy who is completely reviled by, hated by people, Jesus looks at him and says, follow me. Okay, this is an incredibly profound statement that Jesus is saying to Levi. Do you notice what's missing? It's just two words, follow me. A verb and a pronoun. Personal pronoun. Do you remember the call to the disciples was, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. You notice he doesn't say that to Levi. That gets left out of the invitation. Well, Probably because it really wouldn't make the metaphor wouldn't really make too much sense to a tax collector. Levi would have been, well, I'm not even a fisher of fish, so I'm not really sure what you're actually talking about. Jesus looks at Levi and just says, Follow me. You have to understand that this these two words are so profound because of who Jesus is speaking these words to. Levi is someone who is a duplicitous man, someone who is a divided man, someone who has had no concept of how to follow anyone in his entire life with any allegiance or with any sense of loyalty. He looks at a man who does not know how to follow someone and he says, Levi, follow me. Duplicitous and divided. He was a Jewish man who was working for the Roman government. His interests were divided. He was robbing from his own people just to make a buck and skimming off the top taking from the Romans. So this invitation, this call to follow me, I am trying to impress this upon you is incredibly profound. How does someone who is divided, divided or duplicitous, how do they follow anybody? And this is what the invitation to Levi uh, is. Let me ask this question. Do you know anyone in your life who is duplicitous or who is a divided individual? Someone who acts one way when they're around a certain group of people or depending on their location where they are, but they act totally different in this. So they're like one person over here, but they're another person over here, and yet they're another person over here. We have a name for these people, right? Fakes or frauds, hypocrites, mask wearers. I don't know if wearers is a word, but we have a name for these people who are duplicit in how they live. And who wants to ultimately live that way? You forget who you are depending on where you are. This is Levi, Levi. When he's on the booth, he knows exactly who he is, but he's got to be very careful over here when he's around the Jews, when he's around the Romans. He's a divided uh, man. And the answer to division and duplicity is found in Jesus' invitation. If you don't want to be a duplicit person or a divided person, then you have to respond to these two words, follow me and we get the concept of following because we're all following someone or something. Our problem is we're following so many different things. We're divided in our allegiance or our loyalty to who we're actually uh, following. Most would say that this invitation that Jesus has just given of follow me uh, is a really poor choice. Most people looked and said, he's already invited four fishermen kind of the lower end of the ladder here in people's minds in terms of culture. And now he's going after someone who is a tax uh, collector. As I said before, tax collectors, these guys were hated by both cultures. Uh, they learned how to milk money, steal money. Uh, the Jewish Talmud uh, actually just called tax collectors or robbers. They were not allowed to even be witnesses in court because they, were not, they couldn't be trusted. It could not be trusted to give an honest account of what actually happened. So they were not allowed to even serve uh, or serve as a witness in court. They were not even allowed to go into the synagogue. They're Jewish, but they can't even go to their own place of worship because that's how much they were hated. Because they're thieves. They're liars. What's really interesting is this is who Jesus invites to come and follow him. I'm probably starting to think maybe the fishermen are thinking, man, What on earth is Jesus, what kind of team? If he's trying to assemble a team that somehow is going to have an influence on the world, so far the five guys he's invited to follow him are like the least likely candidates to be a team of men who are going to change the world for God. But yet he looked at Levi and he said, follow me. I love that uh, Jesus calls someone that no one else would have called. I don't know if you remember back to maybe middle school days or before middle school when you'd you know, go to gym class and you, teams, you pick teams and some of you probably were always the first one picked and some of you probably were always the last one picked and if you're last one picked, you just feel like I'm a schmuck and no one likes me and then you have to go to counseling for years and years because you're always the last guy or last girl picked. Okay, if Jesus is assembling a team here, Levi would not have just, he wouldn't have been the last one picked. He wouldn't have been invited to be on the team. This is how much this guy is hated. And I just love that Jesus picks, calls, invites someone that no one else would have invited to say, come and follow me. What does that say about Jesus? Let me ask that question. If Jesus is taking the most least, the least likely candidate in Levi, even these fishermen, what does that ultimately say about Jesus? He's the one who's assembling this group of men that are going to follow him, that will be the the first guys to build this church. What does this say about the person of Jesus? Well, it certainly says that Jesus is not looking to assemble the most popular or influential uh, people. I think he's looking for people who are just going to do a very simple thing. You know what that is? Follow. Do you notice what uh, Levi's response to Jesus was? He got up and he left and he followed. There was no conversation. There was no like bargaining like, well, how much are you going to pay me? Or am I going to get anything out of this? Or there was no dialogue. The invitation came, Levi, follow me. Don't be divided. Don't be duplicitous. Put your loyalty in me and follow. This is what Jesus is looking for. People who will do a very simple thing of follow him. And this is what Levi did. Often as I've been thinking about Levi this past few weeks, if a guy who is is just reviled as Levi is, who's hated, someone who is as divided and duplicitous as this guy, can get up at the call of Jesus to go and follow, have his life completely changed in just a moment. I wonder what my deal is. This guy didn't really, he didn't know Jesus. Comes on the scene and Jesus just says, follow me. And he gets up and he goes. Someone who had never been able to follow anyone in his whole life in that moment is able to say, I will follow to the point of his death, by the way. He didn't go back. Matthew was martyred for his faith in Jesus. The invitation has not changed, by the way, over 2,000 years. And if you really just think about Christianity, it's really not that complicated. The invitation he gave to Matthew, the invitation that he gave to Peter and Andrew and James and John, is the same invitation he gives to us follow me and it just becomes a question of will we follow him and as I've already said we know how to do it we know how to follow it's just a question of are we going to follow Jesus if you don't want to live a divided life if you don't want to be duplicit this way over here this way over there over here a different person then you need to make a decision in your life of who are you going to follow Because if you're duplicit at all, it's just evidence that you have no clue who you are following. That's why you have to act so many different ways in so many different places. So if you don't want to be that man, if you don't want to be that woman, duplicit and divided, make a decision to respond to the invitation that Jesus gives to you, to me. And it's just this, follow me. And remember, following is active. It's not a passive thing. It's a life that's actually in motion because Jesus is taking us somewhere. He's leading. He's guiding. It's not a life of stagnation. Following is active, motion, movement. It's not stagnation. After Levi uh, makes his decision to follow, I love what uh, he does next. Verse 15, while Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. Jesus was attracting crowds. And there were some people who were just following him to see what he was going to do next. And then there were men like Levi and James and John and Peter and Andrew who gave their life to following him. I love that his first thought is, you know what? My life is totally radically changed. I'm going to throw a big party. And I know it doesn't come out in verse 15. It just says they're having dinner. But if you look at the same story account in the Gospel of Luke, Uh, Chapter 5, verse 29, it says, Then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house. The picture is, Levi was so excited about Jesus, was so excited about this person that he was now following, his first thought was, I have to have a party. I must celebrate in honor of Jesus, not in honor of myself. And so he invites all of these people to come to his house and to celebrate with him. It's such a great picture. The first thing that Levi does is to throw a party in honor of Jesus. And I love if you look at the guest list here. This is not like A-listers. Paris would not have been seen at this party. This is like B-listers and below. We're talking sinners, notorious sinners, and we're talking about tax collectors, like the bottom of the barrel of culture. This is who his buddies were. And he says, You've got to come. We're going to have a big banquet, it's going to be at my place. And we are going to in, I want to introduce you to this man, Jesus. Why does Levi throw a party? Well, we do it, don't we? When we get excited or we want to, something big or uh, monumental happens in our life, we throw a party, right? Weddings, always after a wedding, there's always a banquet, a celebration to celebrate uh, the couple that has just gotten married. Baby showers, birthdays, graduations, How many people went to, we do this for TV premieres now. When there's a TV show that's been not in season for a while, now it's coming. How many people went to a lost celebration last night to celebrate that lost is finally back on TV? Or 24, pick your show. We get the idea of celebrating. And when we're really excited about something, we want other people to enter into our joy. And so we... Invite people to come and celebrate something or someone in our life. And Levi was so excited about his new life. And remember, he's only a couple hours into this. Okay, this was like the first thing that he did. And he goes and invites all of his friends to enter into his joy. Now, my question for us, what would this look like for us? Like, should we just throw parties and throw on like the Jesus film instead of Lost in 24 and be like, there he is. Is that what that, like, is this how we understand or apply uh, the party that he threw? Let me just ask you a question uh, of how we are to apply what Levi did and how we actually uh, might apply it. And by the way, we're, we're doing it right now. I didn't know, I don't know if you consider what you're doing right now a celebration that's what we're doing. That's what we do every single week. We're celebrating God. Now, let me ask a, and be honest as you answer this, at least for yourself. When you come here tonight, when you come back on Sunday, and when you come back week after week, do you consider that what you're actually stepping into and coming to is a great banquet or a great burden? Because how you answer that question will really will have a profound impact on what this time actually even looks like. Because what it looks like for us to do what Levi did is what we're doing every single week, every single Sunday night from six o'clock to seven thirty. We're throwing a big celebration where we, as a community, can gather and celebrate one person. His name's Jesus, and the idea is that we would continue to bring as many people to this banquet to celebrate with us, to enter into our joy. So is this a banquet for you, or is it a burden? Now, how you answer the question will determine how you worship. Just how we're worshiping, I'm thinking primarily right now through music, through song. Because if it's a great banquet that you're coming to, when you worship, if it's a banquet, you're going to go for it. You're going to sing as loud as you possibly can. Heck, you might even like put your arms up like this because you're so excited. Why? Because it's a celebration. Who are you celebrating? You're celebrating something that God, who God is. So if it's a banquet, your mentality is going to be, I'm going to go for it. I'm going to shout. And if I annoy everyone in the room, live with it. But if it's a burden, then something like worship will just be, I'll just go through the motions. Lindsay, I think, probably has one or two more songs I can handle that. There's a difference. If it's a banquet, you'll go for it in, in song, in worship, or you'll go through the motions. If it's a banquet with things like the message, you'll not only receive it, but you'll respond. And I'm not talking about to me, I'm talking about what God is speaking to you. Because if it's a banquet, you'll want to respond to what God is telling, what God is speaking, what God is revealing. But if it's a burden, you'll sit here thinking, I hope the dude sitting next to me is listening because he really needs to hear this. This is totally not for me tonight. If it is a banquet, you'll actually begin to do things like serve. I want to make this party, this celebration, as grand as it possibly can be. And you'll get involved. And you won't mind doing things like setting up chairs, moving tables, hanging curtains. But if it's a burden to you, then the mentality is, well, someone else will take care of it. But if it's a party, if it's a banquet, if it's a celebration, you're going to want to play your role and play your part to make sure it's the grandest banquet celebration party that you possibly can. And this is a big one. If this is truly a banquet or a burden, it's going to impact who you bring with you. Because if it's a banquet, you're going to be telling people, like, you've got to come and be part of what is happening. And please do not misinterpret. This is not like the message of we want to get as big as we can so we can be impressed with ourselves. I'm trying to drive home if church, if our community gatherings are truly a celebration, you'll want other people to enter into that celebration, uh, this party with you. And I understand that you might say, well, my friends, Michael, are absolutely not interested in coming to church. I get that. I understand that. And certainly there are people who are not interested in coming to church. But I wonder if it's because what they see in us are people who are not really interested in coming to church. Because we're not coming to a banquet. We're coming to something that we just have to because that's what we do. There's a difference of going to someone and saying, hey, do you want to come to church with me this week? And, you know, I'd feel guilty if I didn't invite you, and I don't like feeling guilty. So if you're interested, you don't have to come, but it's cool, whatever. You know, 6 o'clock, kind of, whatever. There's a difference of inviting someone like that and then inviting someone to go and say, you know what? I I would love for you to come and see the community that I'm part of. It's an amazing group of people, I would love for you to meet them. And more than just the people, I would love for you to meet God, because God is totally changing my life. And I would love for you to meet this God who's grabbed hold of me and has made such a difference and had such a profound impact on who I am. you see the difference? (laughs) Is this a banquet or is it a burden? I know I've asked this a hundred times now but this is what it would look like for us as a community to apply what we're reading in the story tonight. Levi was so moved by Jesus' invitation that he had to gather all of his friends and invite them to come to a banquet where Jesus was the guest of honor. Last question about the banquet burden thing. If this was a banquet, how different would this place look? How different would we look? Just a thought. I'm guessing it would look a little different than maybe we have right now. As you think about coming back maybe on Sunday, and I hope you do, let that be your mindset. If I'm stepping into a celebration, if we can get as excited about TV premiere parties or birthday parties or any of the parties we throw, man, what would it look like For us to be just as excited, if not even more, to bring as many folks as we possibly could to the celebration that's taking place here. I'm guessing that one reason we don't have this thought of this as a celebration is if we invite people to come, they might meet some of the party crashers that crashed Levi's party. If you go on in the story, verse 16, it says, when the teachers of the law who were Pharisees saw him eating with the sinners and the tax collectors, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? Okay, so the Pharisees showed up. They wanted to find out what's going on, what's happening here at this banquet, and why is Jesus hanging out with this ragtag group of sinners and tax collectors? So these guys are the party crashers. I know one of the fears is, If I invite someone to come to this celebration, they already have this notion that the church is a bunch of Pharisees and hypocrites and all of these kinds of things. But I wonder if we have a hard time inviting people to come to this party is because we are actually the party crashers. Meaning that if I even utter the words, hey, I'd love for you to come to a celebration with me on Sunday, And they ask you what that means, and you just say it's church. And they would look at you and be like, what? You go to church? The fear is that if we just put it out there, because maybe Monday through Saturday, our life doesn't really match up with what this individual's idea of someone who goes to church actually looks like, and so we choose to say nothing. Because, in fact, we might be the party crashers ourselves. These guys showed up to Levi's party, literally crashing the party. I can only imagine. It was a killjoy, so to speak, on this party. They just goes back to um, the uh, importance of uh, of following. Because if you're one way on Sunday, but totally different with other people during the week, you please remember... Uh, Duplicity, division is answered by a person who follows. And if you're following, I I want you to catch this. If you're following with all of who you are and all of who Jesus is all of the time, you really will have no problem inviting anyone and everyone that you meet to be part of the celebration that you come to. It's a question of following Jesus all of the time, following all of Jesus, not the parts that you just like. All of Jesus, all of the time. Two things that, as you read verse 16, that the Pharisees just kind of bug is lack of vision. When Jesus saw Levi, he he sees a man who's going to be a great follower. When the Pharisees look at this crowd of people that have gathered, they see a room filled of sinners. Do you know people in your life who... They only see people one way. These Pharisees could only see other people one way, and their one way was they're sinners, meaning we're self-righteous, and they don't look like us. Therefore, they are sinners. These guys were just so blind. They look at a room full of people, and rather than saying, wow, what, a, what an amazing group of people here that have gathered, that God loves every single person in this room, the religious people walk in and say, What a bunch of sinners. What a bunch of tax collectors. That's the way they saw people. Reason for this is pretty simple because they compared everyone just to themselves. And as I said, if you're a self righteous person and impressed by yourself, well, everyone kind of looks like a schmuck compared to you. And so you look through this lens of looking down on people. And let me just say, if that's you, it's a very lonely life. Because being perfect is pretty lonely. Being perfect is a, which is not possible, by the way, but being perfect or thinking you're perfect is a very lonely uh, thing. So if you're going to be a follower of Jesus, it means seeing humanity just like Jesus does. So when you come across a tax collector or a sinner, wouldn't it be awesome to see people... Every single day that you come across and be like, wow, my first thought when I see that person is they'd make an incredible follower of Jesus. Because that's what Jesus sees when he sees people. Wouldn't it be awesome if you went to work tomorrow, the people that you hung out with over the weekend, and your first thought, you looked at them and you weren't looking for impressive people, you would see Imago Day, And you're like, wow, that person would make a phenomenal follower of Jesus rather than that person is such a sinner. Then the second thing is lack of vision and then lack of courage. Did you notice who, they have a question for Jesus, but they go to the disciples to ask this question. Like, why not man up and just say, if they have something to say to Jesus, why not just go to Jesus and say, Jesus, why do you hang out with sinners and tax collectors? Rather, they're kind of, Deceitful, devious, and they go to the disciples and say, "What's up with Jesus? Why is he hanging out with sinners, with tax collectors?" I'm not sure why they approach the disciples. One thought just might be, they're trying to plant seeds in the disciples and Peter and, and John and James and Andrew. What's up with this guy that you're following? You really want to give yourself to someone who's now invited to be on the team? a tax collector? Is that who you really want to give yourself to? I really don't know if that's why they approached the disciples first, but certainly their question reveals one thing about the Pharisees, and the one thing is they don't really give a rip about people because they just see a a room filled of sinners. Their question is, why does Jesus hang out with him? Here's a question. If we only had one verse in the Bible, there's 31,000 173 verses in scriptures, Old Testament and New Testament. If we only had one verse in the Bible, and it was this verse right here, verse 16, what would you know about God? What would you learn about Jesus? If this is the only verse that we had, what could you walk away with with this one verse of 31,000 plus I would personally walk away and say, you know what? Jesus actually has a heart for sinners. Jesus wants to build relationships with people that no one else is interested in building relationships with. Jesus doesn't just love the lovely, he loves the unlovely. If I only had this one verse, this is the conclusion I would be able to make. Jesus builds relationships with people that no one else will. If I'm going to give myself to follow somebody, i want to give myself to following someone like that. It's such an amazing picture in this one verse of what we learn about Jesus. So if we're going to follow Jesus, we see people like he does, and then we learn to love what Jesus loves, and Jesus loves people. So Jesus not only has um, really good vision in terms of seeing people, but he apparently has really good ears. Because in verse 17, Jesus says this, On hearing this, Jesus said to them, It's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Jesus looks at these guys and he just said, Do you want to know why I care about tax collectors? Do you want to know why I'm hanging out with, I'm having dinner, I'm coming to a banquet? why I'm building relationships with sinful people, it's because my mission, why I've come, is to invest and call the people that you have neglected, the people that you have ignored. So Pharisees, religious leaders, you want to know why I'm doing this? It's because you should have been building relationships with these people, communicating who God is, because the message that these Pharisees were communicating is God is really only interested in people who are healthy, people who are without sin, people who follow the rules, people who are religious. That was the message, and if you don't fit that bill, then you're an outcast, you're known as a sinner. But Jesus declared that God's heart for humanity really expressed clearly in Jesus' coming is that he's calling people into a relationship with him. If we just look at what we have so far, when people were invited to follow, Simon Peter uh, and Andrew, his brother, followed. They said yes. James and John said yes. Now Levi, when Jesus approaches him and says, follow me, Levi says yes. The Pharisees, they said no. Why would we need to follow you why would we need to have a relationship with you when we already have a relationship, as it were, with our religion or the rules that we follow? And what's sad about those guys is their religion, their rules kept them from having a relationship with God. So just as we'd finish tonight, just these few verses, this story, I would just want to ask you the question, what are you doing? Because the invitation has not changed. Jesus has come to call sinners, which is us, all of us, call humanity to follow him. And so what are you doing? Are you following? It's, 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 it's a yes or no. It's not a maybe because I'm either following him or I'm not following him. If you've already said, yes, I am following, then I want to encourage you, as you follow, it's all of you, all of Jesus all of the time. Please remember that. If you're going to follow, it's active. All of who you are, all of who Jesus is, all of the time, no matter where you are or what you're doing. Because if you're not doing that, then you're not following. That's what it means when these guys left everything to follow, I'm giving all of myself to all of who you are All of the time. To those who are undecided, all I could just encourage you to do is make the decision to follow. You're one decision away from making the most important decision of your life. And if you're a person who has said no, I don't want to follow, then my heart for you would just be very simply, it's, it's never too late to change your heart and to change your mind. Because if you still have breath in your lungs, that just means God's not done with you yet. So even if you've said no, it's not too late to say yes. Jesus made very clear in verse 17 why he came. And it was to call people into relationship with himself. And as I uh, just finish, I was wondering, I know what it would look like for us individually to follow I'm starting to get a picture of what it might look like for us to follow. This idea of this is a banquet, a celebration. Hopefully not a burden. But I just wanted to finish, as a community, what would it really look like for us if Jesus made very clear why he came? How might we as a community make that the very reason we are here? If he made very clear why he came, to call people into relationship with himself, what would it look like for us collectively as a community to say, "Then that's what we're going to be all about." Some of you have uh, maybe heard of a, a pastor. His name is uh, Tony Campolo, and um, I heard this uh, story that uh, he had shared in, in one of his books. And uh, it was a story he was uh, had a conference, doing some teaching, and was up late at night and couldn't sleep. And so he went down to the local diner. It was about two in the morning. And uh, he was just sitting there having uh, a very early breakfast, and in came uh, the room, uh, a group of women who were uh, prostitutes, and they sat down at the table next to him, and he's just overhearing the conversation as these uh, women are talking, and one of the women says, you know what, it's my birthday tomorrow. And uh, one of the girls looked at her and just said, well, what do you want, you to know, throw you a party or something? And she just said very quietly, kind of sheepishly, actually, it, no one's ever thrown me a birthday party. And that really just stuck with Tony, that how could this woman who is at least well over 30 years old go through life and no one's ever thrown her a party. And so after she and this group of friends left, uh, he talked to the owner of this diner and said, I'd really, could we throw a birthday party here tomorrow night, because this is where these girls would come. And so he asked the owner, is it possible, can we tomorrow night when this group of women come back, can we bake a cake and can we decorate this place and can we throw a big party and celebrate?" This, this woman's birthday. And so he talked, um, talked the owner into doing this. And so Tony, the next morning at 2, 3 a.m. in the morning, was there. There was a birthday cake. It was decorated. She walks in and everyone that was there starts singing happy birthday to this prostitute. She was just so overwhelmed, so blown away. And this was the first birthday party anyone has ever thrown her. And as the party's coming to end and they're getting ready to go back out into the night or into the early morning, Tony says, hey, before you leave, would you mind if I prayed for you? And the owner kind of looked at Tony because he didn't know that Tony was a pastor preacher. And she's like, yeah, I guess. I guess that would be okay. And he prayed a very simple prayer. He said this, he prayed for her salvation. He prayed for her life to change And he prayed that God would be good to her. Three things. He prayed that this girl would come to a saving knowledge of of Jesus. He prayed that her life would change. And he prayed that God would be good to her. She left and the owner came up to him kind of annoyed, kind of frustrated. And said, you didn't tell me you're a preacher. You didn't tell me you're a pastor. And he said, what kind of pastor, what kind of pastor, you know, what kind of church do you pastor that you're coming here at 3 in the morning doing this kind of thing. And he just looked at this guy uh, with big eyes, because he's got huge eyes if you've ever seen him, and he just said this, what kind of church do you belong to? And he responded by saying, I belong to a church that throws birthday parties for prostitutes at 3 in the morning. I just wonder, what would it look like for us as a community to do that very thing? to care about people who don't know God, to come alongside people and just love them. It was a very simple thing. He just threw a party and he prayed for her and she went on her way. I just wonder, as us as a community, Genesis collectively, what would it look like for us to see the people that we are surrounded by every single day with a set of eyes that looked and said, you know what, you would make a phenomenal follower of Jesus. To love people, not condemn people. To invite people, not to ignore people. To say, you know what, I want you to know this God that I know. I want you to see this community of amazing people that I get to be part of. And not look at someone who would be a prostitute and say, oh, They'd never be interested. Least likely candidate. Don't want them coming to our church. They might make mess things up. I so long for Genesis to be a community that would care about the people that surround us every single day. You know, our mission is is summed up in three very simple words. What would it look like for us to say we're just a community that is excited? To invite people to begin a relationship with Jesus. To belong to a community that would care for them, that would love them, that would come alongside them. And to be part of a community where our belief is not just something that we can quote and makes no difference in our life, but our belief actually transforms who we are, thus transforming people around us. This is just a few verses uh, tonight, but it's a pretty phenomenal story because a guy follows, he throws a big party, invites all of his friends just to come and meet this guy, Jesus. It's pretty profound. Someone who had no clue how to follow becomes an incredible follower. Tonight, before we would uh, celebrate uh, communion, and I say that we celebrate communion every single week because we're celebrating what God has done for us, meaning he made it possible for us to have a relationship with him. He called every single person in this room to follow. So are you following? If you are, all of you, all of Jesus, all of the time. If you're not, make the decision tonight to say, Jesus, I'm going to respond to your call tonight, in this moment, in this Thursday evening at 8.55. My life is yours, full allegiance, full loyalty. Father, I just pray that uh, tonight, as we've looked at uh, just a handful of verses, it's a pretty incredible story that that Mark tells. I give thanks, Jesus, that uh, you saw in Levi something that uh, no one else saw. You invited him to follow, and he responded. He left it all to follow you. God, I thanks that his first thought was to throw a party and invite whoever would come to a great banquet where you, Jesus, were the guest of honor. And Jesus, I just give thanks that in one verse you make very clear why you came. And you came to call people the least likely into a relationship with you. Father, for those that are here tonight that have made a decision to follow, I just give thanks and celebrate that decision. And I just pray, God, that you would give those of us who've made that decision the courage to say all of me, all of Jesus, all of the time. Father, if there's someone here tonight who's been undecided or even said no to following you, Jesus, God, let tonight be a night where some folks make a a decision To cast their lot in with you, Jesus. To make the decision to follow you. I give thanks that you invite us to follow. Invite us to be in relationship with you. Give us hearts that would respond. Genesis is a ministry of Hope Christian Church. We invite you to find out more by visiting our website at genesisthejourney.com.